Hey there, med school keeners. MD Consultants is the best company out there for application review and interview prep. You'll work with a customized consultant to get the best chance at admission to one of your top schools. Visit mdconsultants.ca and enter code ORTHOPOD15 for 15% off packages for pre-med students. Visit mdconsultants.ca, code ORTHOPOD15, and get into the med school of your choice. Okay, so uh, I'm joined by uh, Dr. Pat Thornley, soon-to-be graduate of the MAC Ortho program. Thank you very much for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. So Pat is headed off to uh, the University of Western Ontario next year for a spine fellowship. First off, could you just talk to me about how you got interested in spine and ended up choosing that subspecialty? Yeah, sure. Um, I mean, I think uh, from early days, even in med school, I was uh, kind of tossing between neurosurgeon and ortho um, just because I was very interested in spine. Uh, but the sort of breadth of orthopedics was was more intriguing to me. So that led to my pursuit in orthopedics. So I had a, a pretty strong interest in spine, even in early R1 days. And then um, a lot of exposure and residency from a pediatric and adult spine side and a ton of spine trauma at the general uh, here in Hamilton sort of cemented my interest in the field. Yeah. So, and then I think uh, just, you know, as I moved into, you know, my senior years in residency, I had further opportunities to do more of the procedures in spine, which tend to be uh, interesting to me. And uh, most people in ortho would say the exact opposite. So I got to do many more of those cases because there was no competition, which is nice. Uh, and then I just, I really liked the, you know, the tangible outcomes. And I thought the the procedures are pretty cool. And so I mentioned that you're off to Western next year. And, and I also saw that you're headed down to the States after that for a PEDS spine fellowship. I'm just curious, like how you managed to settle on those programs and, and what drew you to them? For Western, there were a few um, a few good factors and a lot of the important features of what to look for in a fellowship that were passed on to me from my mentors and many of the senior staff who've taken a similar path to what I'm hoping to pursue. First and foremost, making sure that uh, not only I would be happy in fellowship, but uh, that my family would be happy as well. So uh, Western is a very logical choice for both of those reasons. I was looking for something that's very high volume with a good amount of independence and not a um, a huge volume of fellows to you know be competing with for cases. So Western fit very well. I like the culture in Western. I'm from London originally. And uh, with the new baby, it gives my wife a lot of support and she's still close to her family here in, in Hamilton and Guelph area. Uh, so those are some, some big features. Western also provide the opportunity to do a concurrent master's of science, which I am pursuing and am very intrigued by. Uh, and then they allow you to bill, uh, which is you know an important, important feature as well. And if you look across the country, Many of the biggest, um, you know, names in Canadian spine were all trained at Western and a lot of the biggest trials in spine research have come from a Western University led uh, spine research. So those are the, the big features. And then on my electives, I had a really good feel of the program and the faculty. And uh, so it was a pretty easy sell for me. For the States, I, I knew I was most interested in pediatric spine. So Western's fellowship is nice. The Victoria Hospital is connected via the OR between the big, big adult uh, site, which is also their main trauma site in the pediatric hospital. Um, but it's still going to be mostly adult um, uh, spine. The PEDS fellowship, um, I think the sort of way the 
futures going in pediatric spine is I think it's difficult to justify a early onset and congenital scoliosis type practice without a pediatric orthopedic fellowship. And then when I was looking at fellowship programs, not being able to visit them in person because of COVID restrictions, um, I was looking for a fellowship that had um, sort of a, a split between the two. They describe um, at least PEDS fellowships in the States as, um, you know, one of three things. They're either a choose your own adventure where there's zero structure. The fellow makes the entirety of their own schedule. There's a, a mix with some structure, some choose your own adventure. And then there's uh, the very regimented focused ones where essentially you're told from day one uh, where you'll uh, be every single day for 365 days. Um, so I didn't like that idea. So I didn't apply to programs that, that offered that. I knew if I went to a purely choose your own adventure program that I wouldn't, wouldn't do anything other than spine. And so then I settled on the, uh, the good mix, which is forces you to do all elements of pediatrics in small doses. So you're competent, which is, I, th I think, um, you know, if you're going to work a peds job, you definitely got to be good at trauma. And certainly if you're going to work in Canada, which is the hope resource limitations are such that you can't justify doing only spine. So you really need to be able to do uh, all aspects of um, pediatrics and then six months to further hone, uh, you know, some of the pediatric cervical spine and uh, skeletal dysplasia type spine procedures that I'm interested in. Uh, so that was, that was my progression. And, uh, DuPont, where I'm going, was was my top choice. That's in Delaware as the first pediatric orthopedic fellowship. I love the the hospital. The faculty give me a very good feel, and uh, I mean, it doesn't hurt that it's like a world leading center as well. Great faculty, big names. Are there any kind of practices where it's both peds and adult spine? Like you'd be a pure spine, or is it more kind of divided along that you're either in the peds side or the adult side? Yeah, I mean, certainly that that would be my dream as well. Um, definitely in the states, those those jobs exist. There's a few people in roles similar to that in in Canada as well. Some of the Western faculty have a similar job title to that, which is which is awesome, and uh, and that's certainly what my career interest and focus and goals are. So that that's uh, that, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of, you know, talking about DuPont, you never got the chance to do an elective there, trying to woo them remotely. How did you uh, ensure that you would be an attractive candidate for that program? I mean, I, I had done some some groundwork to get my name out there, primarily utilizing my uh, mentors and those who had written me reference letters to contact the, the program um, on my behalf before the uh, interview, just to let them know that I was applying and very interested in the program. And then it's very important to have your mentors speak to these programs afterwards you know, within the confines of the rules of the SF match, uh, especially when they don't get a chance to meet you. Um, so uh, we did, we did both. So I contacted the program director um, a year prior. We knew a couple of um, um, expats who had worked in Canada that were on faculty in, in Delaware now and had spoken with them. And we'd had an opportunity to interact with them through a a lectureship series that I was involved with that we had people do remote lectures for our, our PEDS program here at Matt. And, you know, I just maintained all those contacts throughout, you know, the last year and a half, which uh, were instrumental in not only uh, helping me be successful, but also confirming that I was making the right selection in my top choice. You're basically done residency now. Looking back, I always, I'm always reminded of when you were my tutor, you had this kind of like famous catchphrase, volume and repetition. Could you kind of like dig into that? Like what as an orthopedic resident, what is volume and repetition? Like, how does that contribute to success? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a firm believer in what my mentors have uh, told to me. So first and foremost, I, I think that uh, you want to seek out uh, a multitude of mentors uh, from an early onset in your 
junior days, people to emulate. So that was uh, told to me day one of R1. So I found an R5 that I wanted to emulate and then an R3 that I wanted to, to emulate. Those were the kind of the two areas of residence that I wanted to follow. So I wanted to see, I wanted to be, you, you know, like XR5 when I was an R5 in terms of knowledge base and competency in the OR. Those are the ones that are going to be backing you up for the first little while on call. So you get a good chance to see how comfortable they are with managing uh, acute pathologies and being, you know, quick and efficient. Um, and then an R3 to see someone that's working towards that skill set at a, at a level that exceeds their peers or is, you know, in a, in a good, good fashion, how you think you could mirror yourself and then find faculty that you want to um, align yourself with. So those are sort of the people that um, I align myself with both from an operative standpoint, as well as from a research standpoint, which is important to me. And then in terms of the the volume and repetition, I, I think you're, you're always going to see results from putting in the effort. There's very few people, probably under 10% that go into uh, orthopedics or any specialty that are just naturally gifted at, at surgery. It's, it's not a, it's not a natural skill set. It, it requires work. So that's reading, visualization, practicing the anatomy lab and cadaver lab, and it needs reps in person. So, you know, that's where those, those little effort steps come from. You don't have to be at home just because you're not on call. If there's an interesting case, or if there's a case that is not interesting to a senior resident, that's the case that the junior is going to get to do. So the faculty were talking about with me today, I was just always around. And, you know, you get to do more stuff when the faculty think you've been there forever. And when they see that you're putting in the effort, and naturally, when you're putting in more reps, you're getting more opportunities to do things, you're getting that muscle memory and your skills improve just by osmosis. And that's, that's exactly what I try to do. And I think by seeking out um, those opportunities, you really have a great chance to to grow your skills set anything else that you'd want to say to like any incoming or current residents like you know i guess as your your last words before you depart for a fellowship orthopedic residency is not always a feel-good residency and it's easy to get broken down by the work and the system but at the end of the day i think if you look back and be happy with the decision you've made and reflect on why you chose orthopedics and reflect the fact that you're still caring for patients. I think that that's what's really helped me get through the difficult times in residency, getting reamed out by a staff for making mistakes, things like that. And, you know, really feeling uh, exhausted and broken down and missing out on things, you know, seeing your similar aged peers buy fancy cars and things like that. And we're working a hundred hours on a resident salary and missing everything. I think you really need to just draw back to those moments in medical school in early days, those good moments and those times that led you to this decision. And if you can still look on those fondly, I think you're going to make it through those dark times and, and see the light and have those good days like myself and my colleagues had yesterday getting that. Uh, it's just a PDF from the, the Royal College, but it feels so so goddamn good. Yeah, I'll let you go and celebrate that with your buddies. Thank you so much for uh, coming on. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. Hey, are you looking to boost your MCAT scores? Let me tell you about Prep 101. Prep 101 takes a comprehensive approach to MCAT prep. They teach you all the science, help you master the challenging passage-based format, and they hone your critical thinking and reasoning skills. When you nail these three areas, knowledge, skills, and strategies, you'll get that score. They offer 138 hours of live instruction, more than any other company. They also devote more time to guided practice and have more live instruction hours on that tricky cars section. All of this adds up to a prep course that offers more of everything you need 
to get top scores. So make sure you check out prep101.com casting and use discount code 350castingpod for $350 off their course. Again, if you're trying to get into school this fall, check out prep101.com casting and use discount code 350castingpod. So uh, I'm joined here by an R5 at McMaster, Dr. Nolan Horner. So first off, do you mind just telling everyone uh, where you're going to be headed next year for your fellowship? Yeah, so I'm just finishing up the uh, last month or two of my residency at McMaster, and then I'm going to be heading off to uh, Rush University uh, Medical Center, which is uh, in Chicago for a sports surgery fellowship. Why Rush? What drew you there? It's kind of a process when I was trying to think about where I wanted to go for fellowship. It started off by doing my research online, looking at the different programs or whatever that were available. And then I spent a lot of time and probably the biggest thing that was the most useful was talking to people that have been through the process before, um, what their kind of opinions and perceptions were about each of the programs. And then it was kind of thinking about what it was I was looking for in a program, because it's not as simple as being like, this program is the best program for everybody. There's some programs that are very academically focused. And for those who are looking to get into the community, they probably wouldn't be as appropriate. And then there's some that are kind of more private practice model where you're just going to be doing a ton of volume of the bread and butter, which probably wouldn't be as well suited for somebody who is more going down the academic path. So I was more of somebody that was interested in academics. So in combination with talking to people, I kind of narrowed it down to five or six places that I thought I was interested in. Then I was able to arrange these kind of informal electives uh, with the different programs that I was most seriously considering and just spent a week or so at each of these places. And um, I think that gave me a, a lot better idea of what I was looking for and which programs were best suited for me. And ultimately, Rush just seemed like it was the place that had um, the most academic support. They were doing a lot of really high-level complex cases, revision cases, uh, and that's ultimately what kind of drew me there. How do you think that you made yourself someone that with ostensibly very little exposure to this site could still be an attractive candidate uh, to that program? Yeah. So the reality is, is like, if you're, especially if you're considering fellowships in the U S you're, you're probably only going to go and visit for maybe a week, which is enough that you're going to probably leave there and they're going to recognize your name, but probably not a lot beyond that. So what ends up being the biggest thing is your networking and having people who are willing to vouch on on your behalf. Obviously, you're going to need reference letters, but pretty much everybody's reference letters probably end up looking very similar. You know, this is an excellent person, blah, blah, blah. But what you need is really individuals who feel strongly about you, who are willing to you know, take that extra step and pick up the phone and, and call the people at the institutions that you're trying to get to. And I, I think that's probably what ends up making the biggest difference. And I think that's why it's so important when people are starting their residency that you really start working hard right from day one, because the orthopedic community is so small and your reputation travels far and it travels quickly. So it, it's not enough just to work really hard when 
you feel like you need something from somebody, you need to be doing it all the time because you never know when somebody's going to know somebody who's got a connection to a fellowship or a job that you're looking to apply to. And, you know, your reputation definitely really precedes you uh, in these small surgical subspecialties. That's a great transition into just talking about residency. I think I, I saw a while back that you were named the, the surgical resident of the year uh, at St. Joe's. How do you think you managed to be successful in residency? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of different things go into being successful in residency. And I think what it means to be successful in residency kind of varies from person to person and what you're looking to get out of it. I think my biggest advice would be that first impressions really matter, especially in surgical uh, specialties. By that, what I mean is when you first show up to the OR, everybody's a little bit lost. They don't really know what to do. Nobody's ever held the knife before. But the earlier that you can kind of demonstrate that you're somebody that shows up, they're prepared, they have a plan, they have an idea of what's going to happen in the OR, the earlier that you're going to get those opportunities to start developing your surgical skills. And the earlier you start developing your surgical skills leads to the earlier that you start to gain a little bit of more independence in the OR. And this really turns into this snowball effect, whereby I really think the people that start off really strong end up developing faster and faster. You know, I think that would be you know, my number one thing. And then the second thing is just being, you know, as much as you can always trying to be somebody that people want to work with somebody who's coming in, you know, showing up uh, day in, day out, they're organized, they've got a good attitude about things. And I think all those things kind of contribute. And then the last thing I would say is all of medicine in my opinion, is really built upon this mentorship model and trying as best as you can to early on in your residency, identify those individuals who are willing to take a special interest in you and kind of guide you along the pathway. Because the easiest way to really do well with these kinds of things is to find somebody who's done the same thing that you're trying to do, look at it, the steps that they took and try and at least to a certain extent, emulate um, uh, what they did and maybe even try and improve on the steps that they did. Um, and then it, that at least gives you a, a pathway that you're following uh, throughout your residency. In terms of, you know, building that snowball, we got a new batch of R1s coming in this year. What advice would you say right from the get-go, like, you know, thinking about like boot camp or anything like that? Yeah, I think the first thing I'd say is, you know, you're going to hopefully have a little bit of time off after you finish medical school. And I really encourage you guys as much as you can to just take some time to relax, decompress after, uh, after medical school. The last thing you want to be doing is going into residency already tired because you're killing yourself trying to do all these readings. And there's going to be plenty of time to do that once uh, residency hits. And then, you know, it's just more of the same in terms of what I was saying before, like really acknowledging the fact that these first impressions, a lot of times stick with you throughout your residency. So really just being prepared when July 1st does hit that you're ready to work hard. You're going to go in with an attitude that, um, you know, you're there and you're happy to learn. You're trying to just pick up different things as much as you can from uh, everybody around you, you know, whether that be the senior residents, the surgeons, or even, you know, your allied health professionals, like your nursing staff and your physios, you know, even though you're the physician 
within that healthcare team, and you're ultimately going to be uh, somebody who's in a more of a leadership role. The reality is, is you can't replace that experience that these individuals have and um, just trying to pick up everything you can from everybody. And then the, the last thing I kind of mentioned it before is just trying to have as best you can uh, a good attitude uh, about everything you're doing. Um, I think that really goes a long way, both for yourself and the more somebody you are somebody that people want to work with, I think the more opportunities you get and the better learning experience you have overall. Like looking back on your residency, are there any um, kind of cases or moments that you felt were very impactful or just tremendous learning experiences, either good or bad? Every, every single case you go into has the potential for learning. And, you know, even as an R5, like as much as I can, I'm, I'm finishing up my residency. And sometimes you're going to a case where it seems like it should be extremely straightforward. But as much as I can, I always try and do two things, which is the first thing, go in with like a concrete plan, because I think the more you've thought about the case going into it, the more that you're able to take away from it. And as you get kind of more senior into your residency, the actual technical aspects of, say, putting in the screw or attaching the plate or doing the reduction start to become less important. And the things that become more important is watching how somebody who's an expert in that field, the staff surgeon who specializes in trauma or sports is making those fine-tuned technique differences that really make the case just that much easier. So I would say number one, the pre-op portion of it is extremely important. And I think the earlier you start really taking an active role in planning out your surgery, thinking out what, about what equipment you're going to need, your patient positioning, all these things, I think it's really going to help you out. And then the second thing is what you do after the operation. And by that, I mean, really taking the time and it's really hard during residency because it's so busy, but if you can find the time to sit down with a piece of paper or notebook and after the case, just write down the exact steps in as much detail as you can. And then say it's a total knee replacement. So you write down as many as you can. And the first time you're probably only going to get maybe a third of the steps down because there's so many. And then each time you do one, you add in specific notes to what you learned about the case this time, you know, how the retractor was positioned. And then by the time you're hitting third or fourth year, for each one of the surgeons that you're working with, you essentially have a detailed list in your own words of exactly how each of these operations work. And then I even find like sometimes if I'm going to be doing a specific case independently and it's one that I haven't done in a while, referencing those notes is hugely valuable because even though I have a general idea of what needs to happen, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I remember that so-and-so specifically mentioned that if you position the patient just a little bit more like this, it makes the exposure a lot easier. And those are the details that you're probably not going to always remember, but having something that you can go back to and reference uh, is incredibly valuable. So I think just kind of making a conscious, conscious effort to not just show up to the OR, but show up with specific goals in mind and this idea of deliberate practice instead of just practicing for, for the sake of practicing, but deliberately practicing specific steps really kind of accelerates that whole snowball effect that we were talking about earlier.